Farming might be the perfect analogy for my podcast. How to take a something small and simple, an idea like a seed, to plant it, to watch it grow into something big and beautiful and something that you're proud of. It takes time, and the bigger you want it, the more you have to cultivate. Today, I interview the owner of Farmland Company, a farm kid from central Washington who did all those things, put together that recipe to create a great company today. Welcome to the Socks and Soul podcast. Glad to have you. Let's go. Welcome in studio, my very good friend, Tim Cobb. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you in studio today to uh, record this podcast with me. I really appreciate you taking the time and coming down here and and sharing your story with my audience. I think they're going to love what they hear today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I apologize for the seven times prior to this that you've tried to get me here and I have not been able to make it. So glad to be here. Tim, I am nothing if not annoying. <laughs> no way. It's good. So I have a few, I have a few things that I want to say before we get going that I just need to kind of clear and get off the table. Okay. And I think it's good to do it in front of a somewhat live audience. They're not live, but for them, this is live. Number one, if you know how people talk about like man crush or like mm. celebrity crushes, stuff mm. like that, mm -hmm. right? You would be my entrepreneur crush. Whoa. Yeah. That's real. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, Tim. Mm. And, uh, and you would be like my entrepreneur crush if I had one. That takes us to the next level. I, mean, I better have something good to say then. So not to put any pressure on you, but wow. that's, that's kind of where you sit. The other thing is, as you can <laughs> see, um, and anybody watching on YouTube can see, I wore my Wheaties socks. Oh, better eat your Wheaties. So Tim, like my wife, is an early riser. Mm. Tim is in bed by like 6.15 every night. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> he doesn't waste his time watching movies mm. or watching sports. Uh, Tim goes to bed early and he gets up early. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. And, and probably one of the things that I appreciate about you the most, Tim, is your, your interest and willingness to help other people catch the entrepreneurial bug and to create uh, financial freedom for themselves. Yeah, freedom is a real thing. I, I've always enjoyed my own freedom. I don't know that I ever associated myself as actually seeking freedom, but uh, truly owning a business or several businesses has uh, caused a certain amount of freedom and a certain amount of commitment uh, at the same time. It does create a certain amount of terror and hair on fire occasionally, doesn't uh, it? Yes, it does, actually. <laughs> it, uh, there are many times when, uh, when you just don't quite know what's going to come around the corner, um, but you just step into it and uh, hope, that, uh, hope that you're still standing after it. And if I, could, if I could underscore one of the main principles or reasons that I do this podcast, it is to... It is to create inspiration or, or help people understand that you have to take a step into the unknown for great things to really come to pass. No, that's absolutely true. I, I remember when you told me you were going to start a podcast and I thought, ah, oh, that'd be perfect. He could, Kelly could sit down with people, talk to them, get, get a real story recorded. I can only imagine once you record something, how many people will actually be able to listen to it, how long it will last. I 
I would love for my great-great-great-grandchildren to hear my voice uh, talk about the things that we did during this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was interviewing a good friend of both of ours, Jason Hainsworth, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, and when we got done, he he was like, man, that was really nice to walk down kind of memory lane and, and, and... put some of that stuff down to remember long term. Absolutely. And and your story, your story is is just it's just awesome. So, I want to I want to start here. I want to I want to rewind back to maybe 20, 22-year-old Tim Cobb, mm. okay? You're you're in college or or maybe we maybe we mm-hmm. get through the bachelor's program somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um you you also went on and got an MBA, mm-hmm. um, but but if we were to rewind to that young mid twenty, you know Tim Cobb, what what was the dream then, and and how are you doing on that dream? You know i i would be uh, I would be remiss to not consider uh, where I came from. I was uh, born and raised on a farm in Central Washington. And that farm, obviously, if, if you go across farms, they are essentially small businesses. That's what they are. And I don't know that I recognize that. I recognize my dad as a farmer, as someone who grew crops. I recognize my mom as the bookkeeper and the person who, uh, who truly kind of kept us all you know, going uh, with regards to, to finances and things like that. And, you know, in that, in that time frame of, you know, the formative years, dad was starting from scratch. He started from scratch and did something him and his his brother, my uncle Brian um, and Aunt Lori, uh, they all they all started with nothing and essentially took their hard earned labor, took what they their time and their effort, and and put it into something. And so I, I need to start there because that's that's what molded me into the twenty two to twenty three to twenty four year old age where I found myself working and getting experience. Uh, while going to college, I went in, as was mentioned, did a master's degree, just an, an MBA, uh, following some time on the farm. I thought for a time that I would farm and then found that uh, my, my mind um, and my acumen to, to business and sales really, really was more than what the farm maybe needed at that moment. Uh, it really wasn't uh, uh, what was needed on, on the farm. What was needed on the farm were hands and hearts, and I had plenty of that. Um, but I also, I just felt like there was something maybe more that, uh, that we could, uh, my wife Janelle and I could go and do. And at the time we had just Taylor, uh, it was the three of us. We went off into the, into the wilderness, you might say. And, um, and those, so those times back to your question, those times of, of 20, really 22 to 26 years old were a time of, uh, just learning from scratch what needed to be done. I was working um, inside of the agriculture industry uh, for a great company out of the Boise, Idaho area and um, had an opportunity to really learn from some good business people some of those things. And uh, and I would say, though, that all the while there was something inside of me that was restless. I, I, I have a bit of restlessness and, you know, maybe if they knew what ADD, ADHD was when I was a kid, I probably would have been, had some sort of diagnosis to restless behavior because I was restless. And, and I, I, I didn't know quite why I was restless because I had a, a great job and, and it, it provided for the needs of my family. Um, it, uh, it provided time. And, Your job uh, was, was this when you were doing meat sales? Yeah. So in, so I worked for a company called AgriBeef and specifically a company called Snake River Farms. And so we sold high-end beef 
uh, and pork into the into the restaurant and and uh, wholesale um, market. And so some of some of their clients, uh, Wolfgang Puck, uh, the uh, the Thomas Kellers of the world. If you if you know anything about the foodies out there, uh, we sold beef, and I was tasked to help distributors as well as inventory and you know um, supply chain management is what I did for for them. This, is and, this where you learned how to cook a steak? You know, it it actually is where I learned how to cook a steak. I would sit, I would sit on occasion with these with these. Uh, with these chefs and, and they would, they would start cooking. And I learned that you didn't need much, but salt and pepper and good meat to have a, this, this is an important sidebar for my audience. I will, I will tell you that it will be one of the great privileges in your life. If you get Tim Cobb to make you a steak. (laughs) The first time I really realized this was years ago. It was the 4th of July. Mm. You and your family had come over. <laughs> you remember this? Yeah, I do. <laughs> the uh, which hap- and this happens to us a lot. But our grill ran out of propane, and uh, and I was like, "This is the worst possible thing that could happen." <laughs> a guy who, I mean, not only did you sell beef for years, but you have raised beef most of your life. Yeah, um, you come into the house and you throw this beautiful steak on a pan on our electric stovetop. Mm. And I kid you not, it was one of the best steaks I have ever eaten. And I could not understand what it was. The other real great memory is Tim and I were taking a bunch of Boy Scouts on a a mountain biking ride through the middle of nowhere, Montana. Mm. We had ridden, what, 60 miles that day? Yeah, that was was a long day. It was a long day. And uh, and Tim had brought flank steaks to cook. And uh, we had... 10 or 12 boys with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would not believe the salivation that was going on as Tim <laughs> taught how you cut and cook a flank steak. Again, it was yeah. on a grill of a gigantic camp stove. Yeah, it was a camp stove grill. It really wasn't much to it. <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, I'm glad it turned out quite frankly, cause you never know it. Uh, but it has lots to do with heat timing and, and uh, patience. Anyway, forgive the sidebar. No, no, it's good. But it is, if you ever get the chance to eat a, a steak by Tim Cobb, uh, do whatever it takes to get it done. Okay. So you're, you're young. Mm-hmm. You are, you have this job. It's just the three of you making your way in the wilderness. Yep. So we're there and, and, uh, like I mentioned, a little restless. It was during a time, this is uh, early two thousands. And so, uh, prior to the, to the first, you know, great recession or, or how they, how we ever t- term that in 2007, 2008. And so there was a lot of activity happening in the real estate business near us. And, I will be honest with you and upfront with anyone who ever asks me how I actually got into business for myself. Um, it was because of my wife, Janelle. She, uh, she was home with Taylor and, and we were, you know, actually, and by that time, Jerem had arrived. And so Jerem's, Jerem's with us. It's the, it's the four of us. It's, and, uh, and she's at home with two kids and trying to figure out how she can, you know, help into the into the household, uh, maybe provide a little bit of income. And she had some friends that were, you know, selling houses and doing different things. And so she went and got a real estate license. And um, essentially that first year sold, uh, I think it was 10 or 12 houses from home. And, you know, I looked at her income. I looked at our income statement at the end of the year and I thought, (laughs) 
wow, you just doubled me, <laughs> sweetheart. You just, you just, <laughs> you know, and, and I, and I, you know, and I didn't really have an interest in selling homes per se. I, I obviously with a business background really had a desire to be in commercial real estate. And so, um, as I finished my MBA, I decided that, uh, rather we decided that we would, um, we would head that direction. And, and so got my real estate license, uh, at age 25 or 26. And, uh, by the time I was 27, we were, uh, we were in business for ourselves. We, um, we, I, I quickly worked towards commercial. I handled land transactions, uh, for the, for the most part, as well as industrial property. I handled warehouses and some retail, some office. I worked with a nice firm, uh, in Nampa for a little while until I, was restless again and uh, got my own broker's license and decided to go out on my own and align myself at that time with a nonprofit agency that developed affordable housing. And you'd think, wow, this farm kid is a long ways away from, you know, doing what he's, what he knows. And, it, and I really, I really was for the time, but I had a great mentor during that time, uh, Fred Cornforth, as he, uh, as he helped me understand uh, business more, he had a real way about him to allow for freedom of of movement. And uh, he, while he was my client in one way, he was also we worked together in partnership on on other things. And still to this day, I actually have one partnership that we continue to handle um, for the benefit of some of his properties. And and I learned during that time of which the market crashed. Um, Commercial kind of lagged, and so there were plenty of projects in the pipeline, so there were still one or two years, but I could feel something happening. The housing market obviously just fell off the face of the earth. And you and were in Idaho? In Idaho, yeah. So we're in the Boise, time? Idaho. You're yep. in the Boise we're area. In the, well, Caldwell is where we were, but yeah, in the Boise, Idaho area. And things just, not really overnight, but over the next couple of months, really slowed down in the in the housing. And then we know, as, as I mentioned, commercial lags a year or two behind that. And so we had stuff going, but it really wasn't a lot of new stuff coming. And I, I started to sense that. So we aligned ourselves uh, to develop affordable housing across 12 states. And I was on the road quite a bit during that time, um, looking for land, uh, working with municipalities. I got a lot of experience working with um, mayors and city council members and planning departments and all of these individuals who thoughtfully try to build their communities. So, so, so this is really interesting to me. I, I had, so you're telling me the only reason you got into real estate was because Janelle was selling homes and that piqued your interest. It piqued the interest because, because what I saw in her, what I saw in her was number one, she was able to do so much while, you know, taking care of the household and handling those things. Um, she was really, she is really good with contracts. She's very detail oriented when it comes to contracts and, and those items. Uh, she just, she was able to use what she was, what she, who she was and turn it into sales at a time when, you know, there was just a lot of influx from people moving into the area. There was a lot of movement around our age group, people buying homes, you know, around our age group. And so it was really a, it was a good sense, but literally it was when I watched what she did and how she did it. Um, while I, I, I thought, wow, this, this could be an opportunity for us to enter into a business that really doesn't have a ceiling that really does pay you according to your effort and really can give you, um, can give you a way to, to have your own business 
uh, from the get-go. I mean, this is really this is really exactly what I was talking about at the beginning. You being a serial entrepreneur, because the, one of the things that I have observed about you since I've known you is is your ability to to see what's happening, to adapt, and then to just pick it up and run with it. I mean, here you, yeah. like you said, you were you were a farm kid from Ephrata, Washington, <laughs> and you know, and yeah. and next thing you know, you're you know you're running commercial real estate, and and I'm really fascinated about this transition from. You know, I mean, the funny thing about you entrepreneurs is you're like, and then I got into, you know, low income housing across 12 states as if like you woke up one morning and you're like, I was cleaning my ears with this Q-tip and now I would like to sell, you know, low income housing across 12 states and meet with governors about that. Yeah. I I mean, how really, Tim, how did that happen? I, 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 I'm not a hundred percent certain that I could, I could pinpoint a time or a moment when I decided that, you know, that was going to be what we did. However, the, the advice that I would, that I would say, or the thing that I would say probably helped me most is I just kept at it every day. I had to get up with, with, with a determination in my mind that this was what we were going to do, that this is where it was. Um, I'll tell you right when I went in, I, I quit my job and then proceeded to work in real estate, and I didn't receive a commission for seven months. You know, I didn't this make is, a dime. Th- this is the amazing thing because residential real estate is slow, but commercial real estate is crazy. It takes slow. a long time to get deals done, if that's what you mean by slow. Absolutely, Absolutely. It, it takes it takes a long time to to get someone, and and some of our projects would last a year, sometimes two. I, I, it's not uncommon for me or at that time and even now today to have a deal take upwards of eight to 12 months from beginning to end to get it finally done. And so you have to backfill all that life with income, right? You still have a, a, a home payment of your own. You, you may have other, other things that you're servicing, obviously, you know, trying to feed your family and those types of things. And so, and so I also say, you know, Janelle was able to, we were able to save up enough from the stuff that she did right on the side in order for me to be able to have the time it, it takes. And so to any of the entrepreneurs out here who might be listening, it, it have your reserves ready ahead of time, because in all likelihood, it will take you uh, several months, if not uh, the first few years to really get a rhythm and get your life attached to that rhythm. We had to change. I remember that first that first uh, two week period after I let go, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, there'll be money in my account, right, <laughs> from my check, right?" Because I had been getting a check every two weeks, and I, you know, and I was planning in my mind that way. And I thought, "No, it's going to come from our savings this month." And I thought, "Well, I don't really want to be eating my savings, but here we are. This is the decision we made." And so, but back to your question of how do you get to a place where. Uh, One more question before you get to that. Do you think that growing on a farm, because as a farmer, you basically get paid like once a year ish, Mm -hmm. right? Do you think that that observing that with your parents and what your what your dad and mom were doing helped you overcome that hurdle? Because I I think for me that that's always one of the most terrifying things is what you're talking about is having, you know, whether or not you have a war chest of savings built up that step into the okay now. Now I no longer have that paycheck and, and here we go. Yeah. Yeah, that step, I, I, 
I would agree with that wholeheartedly. There were many times we we were hay farmers and hay farmers actually have four harvests a year. And so we would have staggered payments. Uh, but for the majority of time on our corn and other commodities, it's once a year. At the end of the year, you haul it all in. You don't get paid till it's hauled in. Yeah. And guess what? Even when you haul it all in, there may be deductions and things like that based on quality. And so you really don't know what you net until you net it. Yeah. And, and, and so some of that, I think on a, on a subconscious level for sure had, had a, a, an effect on me to understand how, how that would work. It didn't make it any less scary though, because in our minds as people, I think when we deem something retirement funds or savings or, uh, the vacation fund or whatever it is, when we put those things in a category to then have to go back 30, 60, or 90 days later and say, you know what, it's in that category, but I, I, I need it here for the light bill or I need it here for whatever it is, the bills, that can, that can, that can harm, it harms me anyways on a, on a psychological level because that money was allocated over here for this thing. And especially savings, right? I mean, we're saving. We may, we may not know what we're exactly saving for sometimes, but we're all. Uh, my personality as a saver is to save, and um, I don't know what it is. I just like a pile of it sitting over here, so that so that it's there for when I need it. So that the deal that takes twelve months to come in, I can do that thing. <laughs> what was that? Thi- oh yeah, feed it's my family. Feed my family <laughs> during those twelve months, you know. And so honestly, though, that really um, is. It's a real feeling, and it's something that that I had to get used to, that it took time to get used to, and and as it took time to get used to, I uh, there it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I remember my first commission check. It was a small, you know those, you know those little industrial buildings where it's a little office and a roll up door, and there's about six of them in a line, yeah. right? Oh yeah. And so I rented this little space, roll up door. You know, there's maybe two thousand square feet inside for somebody who might be you know, I don't know, selling decals or, or whatever it was. This guy was an HVAC guy and, and he had a need for some storage. $600 was my first commission. That was my first commission in business. It was $600. My second commission, I think, was like a $90 deal on a really small, you know, like studio office, probably not bigger than the office we're sitting in today, your studio, um, that he just needed a place to, to land when he came into town. And so I have these, and then and then it finally started to pick up, right? But it wasn't till really a year after we decided to go out that I got a first commission that was sizable enough for me to say, okay, that'll help us, you know, in a, in a substantial way. And uh, so, anyways, but I I um, <laughs> I think I think the timing and the preparation and the investment that you put into yourself is is everything and I learned that on the farm when you 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 if you don't plant seeds you don't you don't harvest and uh, sometimes those seeds work sometimes you have to reseed sometimes the storm comes in and blows it all over uh, sometimes you gotta go again and um, I would say that that uh, that's helped me with perseverance it, it doesn't make it any easier but farming really is the perfect analogy for what we talk about when we talk about building a business correct because I feel like no, no matter how good your seed is, yep. no matter how good your soil is, no matter how good the weather is, 
you still have to wait. You still have to wait. You still have to watch that thing be mm-hmm. nothing and then tiny and then big. And then, and then you have to go get then, it. And then you got to protect it while it's growing. And, you know, <laughs> there's no fruit on it yet. And and then you start to see the ear of corn come out. And you're like, great, it still needs to pollinate. Got to have the temperature for that. And then you finally get to where it's drying down. And then at any moment, once it's dry and, and you know, blowy in the wind, it could all fall over and you can't and you, and you haven't gone out to get it. You try not to think about those things every day because it would drive you crazy. And uh, some days that's a shorter drive than most. But uh, I will tell you that... You just have to keep walking forward. And yeah. that and that was that was the thing that Janelle and I found out very quickly. Uh, it took us places that we never thought we would go. You mentioned back to back to where we were in our process there. Uh, we were we were in this business uh, building affordable housing. I mean, what that would look like would be apartment complexes in the size of 50 to 150 units. And I would go in and I would take care of the land. Like I said, I would spend time being that guy who's trying to build an apartment complex and let alone an apartment complex, one that is affordable housing, which means that you're, it's income restricted uh, to be in that. I would be that guy who would be in the meeting uh, having to answer the questions of all the neighbors oh, and, talk to, and talk to them. And I, I learned a lot about development during that time because we literally developed from the ground up. We would start with a bare piece of land and at the end of it, we would we would hand the keys over to the manager and, and they would be managed by our company. I didn't have much to do with the management uh, in that part. I was strictly the, on the front side of the development. But I learned the development process and how many people you have to talk to in order to get a project like that done. Um, it, it helped me in those formative years. And so we're talking about the years between 27 and about 32 at that point. And those formative years, uh, during that time, we invited uh, another child into the family. Uh, Tayson came into the family. So there's uh, a daughter and two crazy boys. And uh, uh, before we were done with it, uh, Jet would come into the family as well, and a daughter and uh, three boys. And, um, and that took us to where we started to then uh, consider, okay, what is, the long, what is the long road for us? Where do we want to raise our family? Where do we, what, what kind of things do we want to um, have them be around? And, um, and ultimately, we decided we wanted them to be closer to their grandparents uh, back in Washington. So that played a big part in you ending up here in Spokane then? Yeah, two part. We wanted two, we wanted two different things. I, of course, loved real estate. Um, like I said, I was, I was a bit out of my, you know, my personality scope at times in a, in a, in a place, uh, where we were developing, you know, great, great projects. Uh, but it really wasn't, I, I had a desire to do something in agriculture and, and I, and that's only because, you know, uh, a farm kid never goes too far off the farm and he, uh, he will, or she, they will come back towards something that resonates with what they grew up with. And, sure. and that's just a, I think that's a natural thing. It wasn't something I tried to, to suppress. It wasn't something I tried to encourage. It was, it was really just something that we wanted. And, uh, and by that time, obviously, you got uh, four little kids and, and you want them to have interaction with their family. Janelle and I felt that... Because um, you and Janelle are both from Ephrata. We're both from Ephrata. You were yep. high school sweethearts. Ah, yes, we were. Yes, <laughs> we were. I, uh, I tend to... The Ephrata love story. I tend to tie things down early in life. <laughs> I, uh, I make sure there's certainty across, uh, <laughs> across 
across many things that I do. But um, of all the things you did in life, Tim, that, that was one the was the greatest. That was the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, clearly, still the greatest decision ever. Um, but so we decided that we would we would try to find our way back. And we didn't know if that was going to be in the Tri-Cities area. We didn't know if that was going to be back in Moses Lake or Ephrata. We didn't know if that was going to be Central Oregon or close, closer closer than seven hours in a van with four kids. That is essentially what we wanted. You can to only walk through the pit of despair so many times in your minivan. That's right. Until something's got to give. Yep. And we... Um, we, uh, we had those moments. We did. <laughs> and it was just, I, I don't know, we really just felt like we wanted um, uh, our kids to, to know a little bit of what we knew. And uh, so we started our search. And, and we searched for uh, ways and brokerages to become part of. I, uh, I Googled a company called Sharp and Hatley farm management up here in Spokane. And uh, in that process, I looked at the founders, uh, one of which at the time was in his early 70s, one was in his kind of mid 60s. I didn't see anybody else on the website other than a, a, a gal who you know took care of their administrative items. Um, and so I, I wondered, you know, what is this little business up there? And I dropped by one day, I happened to be up here working on a, an apartment complex that we developed um, uh, over in Post Falls, and uh, we developed two over there, a senior housing deal and then a family housing deal. And um, and I just happened to be up here, and so I dropped in and to say hello and small office uh, uh, that, uh, and I talked to uh, John Sharp first and then was introduced to Alan Hatley following that. But um, we, uh, and, the, and so that's kind of started the process, but it wasn't until two years later that we had a real opportunity to move. And a real opportunity to kind of kind of situate ourselves with the current company we were working with and that client, because we still had the ability to go out and do real estate for them, and and handle the transactions and you know get the projects going. And that was that was a little bit of the flexibility that was added there. Hey Tim, you can move where you want to move. Help us still with some of these things. And like I mentioned, some of that partnership is still intact today, uh, nearly ten years later. And uh, so, so as you're as you're doing this real estate stuff, you are you are cultivating the opportunity to move to the Spokane area mm-hmm. or somewhere in mm-hmm. you know easternish Central Washington. Yep. So so you have so you have started to create these contacts. Mm-hmm. You know these contact points to potential opportunities. Absolutely, the networking. I mean, you yeah. you you obviously went a long way with with Sharp and Hatley. Just out of curiosity, how many other of these contacts, leads, opportunities were you kind of cultivating that's simultaneously? A great, that's a great question. I would say there's about five or six. Okay, real real ones, and some of them were actually back into an earlier um, degree that I that I had attained in agronomy, crop and soil science. I thought. Maybe I would go and maybe spend some time uh, in either in sales or in some sort of management you know, situation with regards to that. That would have been away from real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was willing to do that at that time. I was willing to you know, grab onto something while I cultivated. Because real estate, you really can't just pick it up and drop it into some other area. Sure. Because you have so, I mean, I had so many contacts in the Treasure Valley down through Boise. I mean, I worked with every mayor down through there. Uh, every every county commissioner knew my name and I knew that I had done deals for them. I had done transactions on behalf of and I had targeted a lot in my business to work with these municipalities because I felt like the deals would be bigger. 
I felt like the deals would be, you know, maybe a little bit more community oriented, which I had a, a, I have a bent towards community orientation. And I just really want, I had, I mean, I had deals with, even with members of the, the state Senate and, and some of those things, I just, I, I targeted that effort there. And so to try to say, okay, I'm going to drop in another area and number one, not have those. I mean, you, you didn't really have any contacts in Spokane. Zero, zero contacts. You grew up in central, central Washington, Washington and then you went to the Boise area to go to school. That's exactly right. And, and had been, you know, like you said, building a career in a network mm-hmm. system there. Right. As for seven years. And, and, and so, and this is, this is another part of your story that, you know, that, that is remarkable to me because you have, you essentially had been building this business and, and then, you know, and then you basically left it mm-hmm. to, to pursue this other dream, this other opportunity. Yeah. And, and at did- about 30, at about 32 years old, that's when that happened. And, you know, our family was still small enough. We, we felt like we had to do it. It was either then or never really for us because. How, how often, how often in this transition process did you think, now this, we should just stay down here. The, the pickings are good down here. Yeah. We got good setup. I mean, Several times, several times we felt, several times we felt like, wow, are we leaving something that is just about ready to click? I mean, it was clicking. It was clicking. We right. were making good money and, and our business was, was successful. Like I said, I had, um, I had many meetings with important individuals who, who actually transacted deals. And, and, and so I, I felt like that. And then I felt, wow, I just, I don't know anybody up there. Part of that, part of that, excuse me, was, was part of that was okay. And then part of that was really scary, you know, like, okay, we're going to land there and we're going to depend on what we've been doing. Um, And I had had some, I had, I guess I had had some inroads obviously with the city of Post Falls and those folks over there uh, because they were just wonderful to work with, with our development over there. And so I started to get a few, uh, but really nothing. I didn't have an affiliation with a Coldwell banker. I didn't have an affiliation with any brokerage in the area. I was coming in fairly blind. And, 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 and to juxtapose what you were talking about when I asked you first about the dream, you you obviously didn't feel like the dream was being fulfilled or could be fulfilled in the way you were looking for where you were. And even though it was good, you felt like bigger and better or, or more interesting, maybe, like you said, you've got a little ADD built in being restless. (laughs) That's right. But, but all of these things kind of played into you saying, I'm going to shift gears, put myself in a market and in a place where I really want to grow and excel. And it's going to be a little dicey for a while. Yeah. Which it was. It was dicey. It was. It was the lowest income year we had had in um, in probably six years, and I knew it was going to dip. Uh, we came in and and we bought a small piece of land. Mind you, this is 2011, so the land was cheap just about everywhere. We bought a small piece of land and we and we brought in a manufactured home to put on it because that was what we could afford at the time. It's a fancy word for a trailer. A trailer, yeah. It was. <laughs> was it, it a, was it a double wide or was it a? It single was a double wide. wide. It was a double wide, and the second double wide that I have uh, had the pleasure of living in with my wife and uh, family, and the family was a little bigger this time. The previous one was just the three of us, Taylor. Uh, Janelle and I. She must really uh, love you. She really, really loves me. If I put her in twice, I promise to build her house afterwards, of which that has happened, obviously. But, um, (laughs) but I will tell you, uh, yeah, it was, it was transition in the purest form and it was transition 
for what we felt, what we, what we really felt in our hearts was going to be the long game for us. And, you know, as a business owner and, and just as a person, you, you, I think I analyze, I try to analyze where I'm at, where I'm standing. And, and uh, Janelle and I always had, you know, roundabout goals. We always had large goals that, uh, not very many of them, but just some specific ones. And, and uh, a move here helped us, uh, helped us towards those goals. Okay. Now I, I want you to tell the best part of your story, which is your hostile takeover of <laughs> Sharp and Hatley. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a definitely passive aggressive, um, uh, <laughs> hostile takeover. I'll tell you, <laughs> let me, let me tell you something really quick about the two, uh, gentlemen that, uh, invited Janelle and I took a chance on us to come into that business. It's, um, uh, John Sharp and Alan Hatley uh, started that business. It's now nearly 30 years old. Um, and they started it, uh, you know, on a wing and a prayer coming out of a banking situation. Uh, they were in a trust, they were in, tr- in trust environment. Alan was a fee appraiser. And, uh, and so they kind of brought this thing together and started to manage farms. And, um, and at the time, at the time I came, I, I was looking to be, involved in the brokerage side of things. That is, that was my background. That's what I knew. I, I kind of already had my life, uh, uh, you know, headed the, the direction of, you know, feeling like we're going to be a long time until we get a commission. You know, it was already climatized. My life was. Tell my audience, just so they understand, explain to them what Sharp and Hatley were doing specifically. Yeah. What, 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 cause this is a, this is not a, this is not a business that that I was at all familiar with when I came across yeah. it. So just tell tell my audience what it is yeah. exactly they were doing because when I say you know it's a farm management brokerage, we really don't have any clue what that means for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Okay. So and thank you for that. Uh, so Sharp and Hatley at the time was uh, was handling about three or four different things. The first and foremost uh, thing that they did was property management for absentee landowners. Uh, there's a, a statistic out there of 50 to 60% of all the farmland that you see as you drive down the road is owned by somebody who does not farm it. So this is the same concept as seeing a, an apartment complex, them having a, a company that manages the, the day-to-day tenants. Correct. Toilet correct. breaks, they call the manager, they don't yep. call the owner. Yep. And basically the owner just receives the proceeds from you know the, the rent on an annual or monthly or whatever basis. Correct. That's a, that's a managed commercial property. And, and so and farmland operates similarly to that in a lot of cases. The ones that are absentee owned, mm-hmm. that a farmer and their family don't own themselves or it's not owned inside of their family. Uh, they, as well as, as well as, uh, different owners like investment groups or nonprofits. Um, we, uh, we have an opportunity to, to work on behalf of the Shriners Hospital for Children, which they are given a lot of farms and, uh, their policy is to hold on to them and to, and to have that benefit year over year come into the hospital. They want the long-term so. income want of the owning the property, income. but they have nothing to do with the farm side. No, they, they, man, they hire us to manage the leasing, the insurance, the taking care of the day-to-day, the inspecting of the farms, making sure that they're being cultivated properly, uh, the marketing of the grain on the backside, uh, because some of these are in a crop share uh, scenario where the owner receives bushels of grain, and we sell those bushels of grain on behalf of them in order to uh, collect their rent essentially for the year. 
And so Sharp and Hatley was engaged in that. They were also engaged in real estate brokerage, which is how I found them buying on the and internet, selling buying and farmland. selling farmland. Mm -hmm. They were also engaged in consulting work. Uh, that consulting work, be it just uh, if if an attorney or an accountant or somebody has questions or, or some sort of case that involves a piece of farmland, they would call Sharp and Hatley and have them do an assessment. They would have them go do a visit. They would have them, you know, write a expert report, sometimes sit on the witness stand if it got to court or something like that. So they to, were expert witnesses. They were their expert well. witnesses is what they did. So these guys are doing appraisal. And appraisal there. There's the fourth Consulting, one, yeah. all yeah. kinds of stuff. But your attraction to these guys was the brokerage side. Yeah, I, my attraction was the brokerage side. And that's really all I thought they did was brokerage. And when oh, I, okay. Yeah, and so I didn't have, I mean, I saw on their website that they manage farms. I'm like, I'm, I don't know that I really put two and two together because I grew up on a farm where the manager was us. Right. I mean, why would It's a family I, farm. It's a family farm. And, and if we had leased land, which we did have much leased land, dad was the one who worked directly with the owner. And so dad... And it ends up now being my biggest competition, which is totally fine because he does it for free, right? He manages these, and a lot of these farmers do, and it's totally fine. I uh, We work with a lot of great farmers that, that have direct communication with those absentee owners. But there comes a time when the absentee owner who had direct communication with the farmer is it ends either I'm someone passes away okay. yep, either yep. somebody passes away or the tenant retires sure. and it's they got to find a new tenant and so in those moments of transition is where they would call and do call a professional farm management company like ourselves to do that so that's what Sharp and Hatley was doing Very cool. and and so the long and the short of my opportunity to come in with them they didn't have a position open they that, that although that's never stopped me before uh, trying to become involved with somebody I try to make uh, you know, make value and and have always done that um, there were times when people tried to lay me off prior and I wouldn't let them I wouldn't let them lay me off I said yeah you know you might not be able to pay me right now um, but I'm gonna stay around and I'm gonna try to help and make value and and I'll you know I'll you know have these other side things and that I'm doing in order to keep my family going. And uh, so that, that is also is a great quality of an entrepreneur, not, not allowing anybody to lay you off, including your clients, uh, whatever it is, not allowing anyone to really, um, you know, fire you unless there's something that, you know, needs to change. But uh, for my own part, I felt like I could add value to the company. And so the only thing, the only opportunity they had was an administrative opportunity that would only be part time. <laughs> and, uh, and so I moved my family here for $1,800 a month and, uh, of administrative pay and it nowhere near ma matched what our needs were. Uh, but I was also still doing my brokerage work. Hey, I'd like Prime. to come and sell farmland with you. Well, you can answer the phones. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. That's and I'll, and I'll bring my double wide onto my property that's exactly and I'll right. do it. Yeah. Drill a well and put a septic tank in and drill a well much deeper than you thought you were going to drill a well and have a bunch of costs that- This is why that, I love your stories. That really, that really, it you just, we were holding our breath on some, some of those items and there were some tight moments. At that, I mean, it, that move- was your grand plan to, I mean, these guys are in their sixties and seventies. Mm -hmm. Your plan at that point was to make yourself indispensable and to, and to buy that company at some point. That was the plan. And, and we had that conversation kind of upfront with, okay. with them. And 
it, it started by John saying, well, we're not getting any younger, Tim. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, there's going to be a time when we need to transition this business to someone else. That's and, really wise on his part. Oh, totally wise. I mean, I, you're talking Alan about a well. niche business. Oh yeah. And Alan as well. They both felt, and that's why I give him credit, mm. uh, as much credit as I possibly can for giving Janelle and I a chance. The, the credit goes to them because they could have easily sold to maybe a Midwest farm management company. Farm management in the Pacific Northwest is a relatively small niche business. There really isn't that much farmland. I mean, there is a lot of farmland. Don't get me wrong. There's, you know, a couple million acres of farmland. But, but there, there, there isn't that much farmland that is that old. If you, if you just look at the age of even Washington State, 1889, I was a fourth grader when we celebrated our 100 years, right? Mm-hmm. That's really only two or three generations of farmers. And, and you take, a, you take a, an example of my dad. He's first generation of his own farm anyways. Uh, Grandpa did some farming. Uh, but of his own farm, he's first generation. That makes me second generation. They're not really into the need for professional farm management as you would find in the Midwest where... There's a lot, of, lot more farms. A lot of them are smaller. Uh, there's, there's a lot of generational passage out there. And farm management is very large out there. There are big companies out there that would have 150 to 200 employees just like me to handle several farms and, and, and do those things. And, wow. and they could have easily, John and Alan could have easily sold their farm or farm management company to that. They wanted it. Uh, in fact, so many times those companies have had come out to kind of court them and say, hey, what is your plan? And that sort of thing. And I'll remember the day that I answered the phone because that's what I was doing for the company at the time, answering phones and taking care of the administrative stuff, that uh, one of the farm management companies out of the Midwest called and I, I answered Sharp and Hatley Farm Management, how can I help you? Uh, and he's like, is Alan or John there? And it was a small... There was a small interruption in his voice that I knew. I go, yeah, hang on just a second. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, let, I'll, I'll grab him for you. And for a second there, he's like, for a second there, this he's isn't like, your rank and file secretary who just answered the phone. Who's this guy? There's something happening. There's something happening. And mind you, this is nine years ago, eight, nine years ago. Sure. And that process of, of transitioning took eight years. Alan told me it would take about eight years. I don't know that I believed him because I was still 32 years old and I thought I'm going to be 40 by the time I own this thing. Are you, uh, that, that seems like a long time. When you're 32, 40 seems like 80. 80, it does. Now 40 seems like 33. It really does <laughs> seem like 33. That's, that's 100% correct. And, and I, uh, Not that I would know. but Well, yeah, you will soon enough. But the, um, the, real, uh, the realness of the amount of time that, the, that those two individuals, John and Alan, were willing to take to preserve their company, uh, it really spoke to what it was about. And it's about the clients. It's about the people we, we work for. We are literally their tie to the land, some of them. Some of our clients have never even been to their land because it's been generational and they, and they just haven't had a tie to it. Uh, many of them have, and many of them have experiences as children on grandpa's farm because it was grandpa's farm. Um, and all the way up to, like I mentioned, multinational uh, organizations that we that we manage for. But, but that that whole process of time that John and Alan were willing to do really impressed upon Janelle and I. And the opportunity was there, and I just had to be patient enough to let the opportunity surface. And 
and that patient and patients included uh, included the opportunity to um, buy John first, uh, purchased his shares in the business, and then became a partner with Alan. And at that time, we shifted the name of the company to Hatley Cobb Farmland Management, uh, just kind of to to make sure everybody kind of knew where we were at and what we were doing. And and that Hatley Cobb Farmland Management ran for about six years, five or six years, and together while we worked together to to continue to do it, we had some growth in that period, um, all the way up to uh, to, uh, to two years ago when Alan said, "Okay, I'm 70, it's time to start my process." And uh, we, Janelle and I, purchased the balance of the the company from him. And uh, he still, uh, and John, at the time of his retirement, stayed on for two or three years to kind of just kind of wind down. He just slowly, he didn't feel like he could just go cold turkey into into, um, retirement, which a lot of farm individuals don't ever do that. You'll see a farmer that's still out there running his son's tractor. and, and, And he's like the best help that his son could ever find because he's going to take care of everything that's out there, but he is still wanting to be involved in it. And, and uh, we see that that transition is just, it's very unique in our business, in our, in our industry to see that transition. But then I've been in other businesses where I've seen it as well. So I don't know how completely unique it is, but it, it, there's just, there's the plant, the seed and the harvest and, and the guy who planted seeds a long, long time ago wants to harvest as long as he can. And, and that's okay. And, and I, I think that's probably also a part of these guys enjoyed their work. Absolutely. They enjoyed their work. They enjoyed the relationships that they had created. And they've been doing this with these guys for 30 years. Yeah. It absolutely. reminds me of like a good accountant or a good barber yep. where his clients won't let him retire. Won't let him retire. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Where's look, Bill? Bob, you ain't going to no place. As long as I got hair, you're going to be in that chair cutting it. it. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I, I... I really learned some formidable things. It solidified a lot of my current approach as we now try to expand into, into different, different opportunities and grow what we have a core of. Really, really our, our goal now is to expand in like industry, in industry type uh, businesses and as well as uh, maintain and grow the core of what is ours because that's what's important. That's the legacy, right? And I want John and Alan uh, to to understand that uh, from day one it was it was our Janelle and I's goal to continue their what they had started and I'd like our company to be sixty years old by the time by the time I by the time I'm done with it and and as soon as we um, as soon as we go from that uh, we'll be we'll just be better and transition it to the next to the next generation and keep keep those people going. That's the part of this that I, that I love. And it just really, it really just goes into your story so well of this idea of, you know, being a farm kid and then, and then leaving this successful brokerage, you know, coming into this as an, as as an administrative assistant, a a phone answerer, giving yourself time (laughs) to learn their business inside and out and then slowly transition to helping those guys retire and and for them allowing them i don't know what the right word is the honor or the dignity maybe yeah. of handing their business over to somebody that they had they had taught and groomed and helped cultivate these relationships on a long-term basis and then you having the freedom to turn around and and 
capitalize on the things that they really weren't interested in doing in their 60s and 70s. Right. And th- and that's really what we found. That's really what we found. We they they had some very specific things they they asked me to do first and foremost. I can remember I can remember the word they used was streamline. Streamline. Tim, we need to streamline our business. And I said, well, what, what, what does that mean? He's like, we need some technology. And I remember there were computers in the office when I got there. There was a copy machine. The only plug that it had into the wall was a power plug. And so it was essentially a ditto machine. It didn't have any ability to fax or email. Or There was a fax machine. Uh, there was a small scanner that was kind of used. And mind you, this is 2011, 2012. And so we're starting to use electronic documents a lot by then. Um, they, they used email in a way that I hadn't really seen before. It was, it was much like the regular mail. They would, they, and it was great. And I, and I laugh with them still today. Like I, it would come it, in and they would print it? They would print it out or, or yeah, exactly. It would be printed, which is great. <laughs> they put it in the file and, and, you know, it was just, it was the way that they did business. And honestly, I would ask them about that type of stuff. And they're like, Tim, we were, we were mid career when someone dropped a computer on our desk. Sure. And sure. Well, I mean. Uh, great. This is an awesome typewriter. I mean, really, I mean, this is an upgraded typewriter and, 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 but to use it as a communication device, to use it as, as a way to, to, they had a, they had a database system where they kept a lot of their information. It is the foundation of our current system, which is now online and, and accessible on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is for the managers that are out in the field. Um, we had, uh, we had really worked on that. It lived on an, I got to tell you this story. It lived on an old computer, right? This database was access-based database. Oh, yeah. Okay. Somebody had come in and and Barry was his name. Barry, the computer guy, had come in and created this for them so that they could track all the information for each farm, track the sales, run a couple of reports, very simple reports, and, you know, an inspection report and a sales report and a grain report and all these things. And and I, I remember going to Alan. I remember saying, hey, Alan, I'd like to... I'd like to move this computer system to what's called the .NET framework, you know, out, out on the internet so that it doesn't live on that old computer right there. It lives on the cloud. I said, you know, and, and you know, cloud was fairly, fairly, you know, it was fairly new at that time. Right. <laughs> and they're like, what's the cloud? And I'm like, well, it's just, it's a place where, you know, our, our data can be there and I can access it from the field. I can access it from my home. I don't have to be tied to that computer right there. And that was a little bit of a foreign concept to to them at the time, and and to me as well. We were just kind of I'm I am technologically uh, I have technological prowess, but I'm a tweener. Okay, I mean there were computers in our computer lab yep. at high school, but we used them for word processing. Yep. Okay, there was no internet when I left when I left out, uh, you know, for college, or, or or went out and and did my mission service and came back. When I came back, people were using computers all over the place and. And so I, you know, I was trying, I've been playing catch up for a long time. So I know enough to know what they were facing and I, but yet I knew enough to know where we needed to be. And so I actually stood as a, a bit of a bridge and they, back to that comment of streamline, Tim, we need to streamline the business. The challenge was though, is as I started to streamline the business, the way that they had done business prior to became a bit obsolete. Sure. The telephone stopped ringing. I can remember uh, John mentioning to me, he's like, Tim, are you getting everything covered out there? I'm like, well, yeah, I think so. Are we getting some complaints? He's like, no, the phones aren't ringing. I go, well, I'm, I'm communicating now with all of the people we, you probably communicated with on the telephone. I'm now communicating with them via email. And he's like, oh. And I can remember that being 
a moment where, where, you know, it's just, it was transition. It was transition and, and, uh, that, that just kind of happened. And, um, and as that went, you, you, you didn't, I didn't make anybody obsolete or anything like that. It just, that's the way that the business has progressed. And from there, from the, the moment they gave me the keys to the, to, to make the business more streamlined, we just move forward with it. And, and, uh, it's streamlined today. It's streamlined today. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so today you, you're, you've got the, the management side, which is going, you've got brokerage side, which is going and growing yep. its reach. You've added an insurance wing. Yeah. Insurance is, is one thing we added about four or five, almost five years ago now. Uh, insurance uh, on the crop insurance side, we were handling a lot of the paperwork and a lot of the, the details of crop insurance for our clients. We felt like we could become an agency and provide uh, just a very in, to, in touch and close uh, you know, service for them. And that also goes out to property insurance as well. And we have several clients sure. that are all farm-based. We just we wanted to be all farm-based. In addition to that, we recently brought on um, uh, uh, a young, young farm kid uh, to, to work in appraisal. And, and um, we, uh, we continue our consulting work as well. So, yeah, those... Those four or five things that we do all center around agriculture and the management, really the management of agriculture property. That's sure. really what we're, we are. A, we are a land business. Yeah. And, and everything that we do um, revolves around either the management, the disposition or acquisition, the valuation or the risk protection of that land. And that, that is, that, that's the, in essence, our company. All those things tie in. They together. all tie in. And, and even though we're kind of in the early stages and getting a couple of young guys, Zach, as well as Eli, getting them going, um, uh, those things will continue to grow. And I, I feel like they will at some point outpace the management side, which is what I continue to rem- and remain to do and the brokerage side, which again can be two deals a year or 12. Sure. You just don't know yeah. in that side. And so we don't tend to rely on that, that source of income. So if you were to, if you were to go back to 22, 23, 25 year old Tim yeah. and, uh, and give him a, a piece of advice about his entrepreneurial, you know, voyage of which yours is far from over, yeah. but what, I mean, what would you tell him? What would the thesis of the Tim Cobb entrepreneur be at this point? Uh, first I would tell him it's going to be Okay. I would, uh, I would definitely tell him that you're going to be able to feed your family and you're going to be able to, uh, you're going to be able to make the impact that you want to make in, in the industry that you're in. I would definitely tell him that. I would tell him that along the way, you're going to meet some amazing people. And, uh, during that time, you're going to meet people that have talents that you don't even remotely have and that somewhere they'll be crafted into the network uh, that it is. I would tell him to keep networking. I would tell him to meet as many people, um, offer his service and or his time to as many people as he possibly can. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, when everything's kind of shelled away, what I've learned, at least through my experience, when everything's kind of shelled away, really we're just in the relationship business. Now, whether you... Uh, whether you manage farmland, whether you create widgets, whether you, uh, you repair uh, plumbing fixtures, you are really in the relationship business. You're in the business of servicing the needs of one person in order, to, in order for them to be complete and you to get some sort of transactional pay in between there. 
in a, in a pure service business. If you're a manufacturer, you're building something that someone is eventually going to buy. Um, and so you have to know those people before you can ever serve them. And, and so I've, I would tell that 22-year-old Tim, Tim, hang in there. Um, my dad would always tell me, I would tell him what my dad continues to tell me, just keep plugging along. Just keep getting up every day and going towards it. The opportunities will come and they'll come in, in really mysterious ways. And they're not really mysterious. They come, for me, they come from my faith. They come from my confidence that I have a purpose. They come from the confidence that I have that uh, there is a grand plan and that I play a part in it, even though it may be a very small part in it, um, that I have a job to do and that uh, I was put on the earth to take care of it. And that literally is, is why I do what I do. I want to close with, with something that you said to me a couple of years ago. Um, as I have, as I have, you know, tried to be entrepreneurial, you know, with my media company and the other endeavors that I've been involved in, um, you know, we're, we're similar in that we've got these big families, you know, we got these kids and these wives that depend on us and we take being the breadwinner, uh, being very, very seriously, very seriously. And, uh, and you, you said something to me that I'll never forget and I'm going to botch the way I worded it so you can fix it because <laughs> it was sure originally your words. <laughs> it's quotable. It's a quotable. That's good. It was, it was something to the effect of, um, you know, don't you dare think that you are alone in the endeavor to take care of your wife and kids. And it was a reference to your faith and, you know, and the lessons that you had learned in, in life feeling risky and entrepreneurism being somewhat scary. And, you know, and instead of allowing the fear to grip you and keep you from doing whatever it is that you want to do to, to bowl forward, to believe in it, to give it a chance to grow, to cultivate it and to not for one second think that you're doing this thing on your own. Yeah, no, they that be with us are greater than they that be with them is the quote that I could pull from the Old Testament. Um, uh, that, that, is a, that is a direct, you did, you did fine on that quote. <laughs> Thank you. You did fine on that quote. That, that, is, uh, that is definitely, I, I, when I came to know, because, you know, obviously my petitions and my, my, uh, my, my attempts to, um, it's probably, it was probably, it definitely was at a time when I didn't probably have much cash flow and it, it just really seemed bleak or whatever the case may have been. And I remember, you know, getting on my knees or whatever the case was and petitioning, um, petitioning my God to, to help me get this done. And I remember distinctly, you know, no audible voice, but I remember distinctly feeling, do you really think I'm not going to take care of your family? <laughs> and it was... <laughs> It was like, okay, I, uh, I missed that one uh, along the way. And, uh, and that, you know, going forward, I won't miss it again. And from that point, I truly, I truly have watched each of my, uh, each of members of my family grow, not, not just simply based on whatever I provided for them, you know, capital P, Right provide. That's what we do as dads. And, uh, and I can get real serious about it up to the point to where everybody's rolling their eyes. Dad's still out there trying to provide and, and, and that's fine. 
but I can I can tell you that uh, that was that was a moment that shifted what I was really doing and and what I was really uh, about. Man, it's just it's just a great lesson, and it doesn't even matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it no. doesn't matter what part of your life you're in. No. Doesn't matter what you're pursuing. Whatever your dream is, yeah. you know, take the talents that you've got in your arsenal. Get good mentors. Network great. You know, and go yeah. plant some seeds, man. Absolutely, plant some seeds and, and have the faith that they'll grow. They will, and and they will grow, and and it, it'll, be, it'll seem like you can't sometimes tell how much they've grown, but some of them will grow overnight and some of them will take years to grow. And uh, here we are to, to kind of wrap that up. Just here we are nine years later, fully, fully vested, fully owned on this company, taking care of the very same clients that were there when I started, as well as many more that have come on. And uh, uh, the future's bright. Uh, we live in a country where we are allotted the freedoms so long as we protect that freedom uh, to transact and take care of each other. And, and that's what, that's what our company, that's what our family intends to do. And, and I, I, um, I believe that. Love it. I love it. Now you all know why Tim is my entrepreneurial crush. <laughs> well, glad to be the crush of someone these days, I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, and even that being the case, Tim had the humility to wear, you know, my company's hat into the interview today. Are you today. kidding me? Kidding me? We're getting it broke in. I, uh, I finally got one. It was nice. I'd seen some around and, and it was nice to actually get one on my head. No, that's not true. Actually, he, he claims I was the first one that got one, but, uh, but happy to, happy to wear it for sure. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for coming in today, Tim. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a super busy guy, but your story is inspiring and when I thought about starting this podcast, you were a huge inspiration for doing it. So I'm grateful for you spending some time and sharing your story with my audience. Yeah, no, anytime. I'm uh, very grateful that you would take some time uh, for, to record this. It'll be good for, uh, for, for my family for generations to hear. Absolutely. Well, this wraps up this episode of the Socks and Soul podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you feel inspired and uplifted and that you'll uh, like and share this with your friends. The Socks and Soul podcast is a production of Ditto Film Media. If you enjoy this content, be sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Join the conversation on Facebook at Socks and Soul Podcast.